My guest today is Maha Khan, and just a little bit of a bio for you. She played hockey for 15 years, graduated with a double major in legal studies and communication and digital media, wrote her honors thesis about diversity in sports media, works for MLSC, the Oshawa Generals, and the NHL Players Association. Maha, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Jack. I'm really excited. It's my first podcast in like a year. So I'm a little out of the game, but. Well, I don't know why you chose to come on this one then, if you've been out of the game for a while, but. Uh... Wanted to help some of my friends south of the border. <laughs> Do some charity work, right? Yeah. Um, Maha, let's, let's just get right into it because we sure. are in the similar situation in that the teams mm-hmm. that we cover have been knocked out of the playoffs and I can't help but draw a lot of similarities between the Nashville Predators and the Toronto Maple Leafs. But let's talk about the Leafs first sure. for a little bit. So Mitch Marner, obviously Mitchell struggled, Marner. <laughs> struggled quite a bit in the qualifying round. Yeah. Uh, you know, many are asking, well, why did he struggle? What did you see? What was your impression of Mitch Marner in the qualifying round? Um, I want to preface this by saying um, – I think Mitch Marner is a fantastic hockey player, but yes, he did. He did struggle quite a bit in the qualifying round. I just, I don't know where to place my anger with him. It was five games after not playing hockey for months. And I guess every other player is on the same boat, but when you're paying a player almost $11 million a year, you expect them to show up and he just didn't. And I don't know. You feel for the guy. He's very likable. He has this like childlike charisma and persona that's really likable, but I don't know. You, I can't really fault him for not showing up in those five games. I really can't. As much as I want to, I, I can't. Well, I mean, what, were, what, what's, what was the difference? Because he posted 67 mm-hmm. points with Austin Matthews on his wing. And, you know, I, I don't understand what, what what was the difference? What like what what could he have done if, differently? If I knew, I would have like DM'd Kyle Dubis and been like, "Hey, you need to like do this." But like, he, maybe he just got into into his head with all this pressure. His contract again isn't my favorite. It I would argue a horrible contract, and it's hard for me to be skeptical of Kyle Dubis and what he's doing because I love Kyle Dubis, but. I think Mitch Marner has one of the worst contracts in the National Hockey League. And, like, if we really want to shake up this Leafs roster and this Leafs core, Mitch Marner is the first guy I'd look to trade. Well, believe me, National Predators fans are not immune to horrible contract Mm -hmm. situations. But, you know, sort of drawing off that, you know, what do you foresee – in the near future regarding the roster management of the Leafs, because they could easily move some big pieces out and get some young talent in. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what do you see in the near future? 
Well, regarding like the big four, we have John Severas, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, and then William Nylander. Obviously, Austin Matthews isn't going anywhere. John Severas isn't going anywhere. So you have William Nylander and Mitch Marner. And Mitch Marner is arguably a better player, but is Mitch Marner worth $11 million a year? What do you think? Uh, it's hard to justify given the way that he played. And I mean, I, I can relate to the guy for wanting to put the team on his back and wanting to mm-hmm. carry the Leafs even into the playoffs this time, not even out of the first round. But yeah, it's hard to justify $11 million given the way he played. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I believe he is an asset to that team, but his contract's a liability and. I think if we can dump some of that cap somewhere else and maybe even get some help on D, which we desperately need, <laughs> I think you can share in that sentiment being a Predators fan. But <laughs> Fan, yeah. Fan, but... <laughs> sure. Supporter. Someone who lives in Nashville. Sure, um, yeah. Well, I mean, follows. speaking of defense, I mean, Morgan Riley, what a fantastic campaign he had. In 2018, 2019, and yeah. then just what happened? I, I don't. I, I'm not really sure what happened to Morgan Riley. Uh, I don't know if there was an injury in there somewhere, but I mean, honestly, I, I agree. I think he was playing through an injury, and he's not one to to not do that. He has a history of playing through injuries. We saw it when Mike Babcock was the head coach. I thought he had a fantastic playoff. And when Jake Mudson got injured, excuse me, um, he kind of stepped up to the plate and he was there. It's just being partnered with Cody Cece, there's only so much you can do. And that's like another thing I wanted to bring up is I really, really, really do not want Cody Cece to be back next year. I would be very disappointed in Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan in the front office if Cody CC is a Toronto Maple Leaf come the season opener, whenever that may be. Yeah, well, we don't know when that's going to be because exactly. there's going to be another uptick in COVID cases in America. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what can you expect out of a guy like Morgan Riley? Because Morgan Riley is a guy, had a great year, mm-hmm. and then next year tapered off. Like, what can – Leaf fan, what is a reasonable expectation for Leafs fans to have of a guy like Morgan Riley? Mm-hmm. I think we can count on him to be that number one guy. Again, he's what, 26 years old, super young dude, um, and he's a quiet leader in the dressing room. And I think that's something that the Leafs need. Um, yes, we have John Tavares, but I think Morgan Riley, being one of the longest tenured Toronto Maple Leafs has that experience, has that quiet leadership, and he's really our number one guy on D. Um, but we'll see what happens next year. I would really like for him to get a competent D partner and see what he can really do. He's gone through a smorgasbord of different partners on D. I'd like for him to sort of settle down with one that's actually competent and can play defense. That's not Cody CC. What was that? What was that word? What was that word? Smorgasbord? What was that word? Smorgasbord? That is the ACT word of the day, ladies and gentlemen. That is a <laughs> fantastic word. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, Leafs fans and Preds fans can draw mm-hmm. a lot of parallels and 
The prevailing theory here in Nashville, good old Nashville, Tennessee, is that the Predators lack youth. So is there like a theoretical end-all, be-all, fixes-everything problem for Maple Leafs fans as Predators fans have determined that lack of youth is for them? Yeah, I'd like to touch on that a little later, even the, the sort of lack of youth theme. Okay. Because we saw it in Toronto, there was all of this youth and all of this star power, but there wasn't this like grizzled veteran presence that sort of like kept things at bay. Um, but to answer your question, um, I don't think there's one like be all end all fix to the situation. Obviously, I'd like us to be stronger on D. Um, and that's easier said than done. There's only a finite amount of defensemen in the National Hockey League. And we do have some assets. I would really be open to the Leafs exploring again, trading Mitch Marner for some help on D. Um, but it has to be the right fit. Mitch Marner is not an everyday talent. And he's not someone that I'd give up just for a random defenseman. Um, and then goaltending, I feel, is also an issue. Freddie Anderson is so hit and miss. Um, I love him. I think he's a great goaltender, but sometimes he's not reliable in those big games. He let in quite a few stinkers in the qualifying round against Columbus. Um, and I think if the Leafs struggle on their defense, they need a goalie that can sort of like bail them out in situations. We saw it with Columbus with Jonas Carposalo and he was playing like a friggin' Vesna caliber goalie and it was really irritating at times. <laughs> but we I really needed that from Freddie Anderson and he just didn't show up for all those five games and it sucks to say, but I think the Leafs and him are gonna part ways after his contract ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you, you, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about it. So let, let, let's talk about youth. Let's talk about mm -hmm. youth for this National Predators. I don't know if you caught my interview with John Jensen. Probably mm -hmm. not. I understand why. But <laughs> uh, um, Philip Tomasino is being hailed as mm -hmm. Nashville's youth savior. He's Messiah. going to come in and yeah. be the forward household name that the Predators have never had. Mm -hmm. Right, so you were in Oshawa. Tell us a little bit about Thomasino. Yeah, tell us a little <laughs> bit about Philip Thomasino. Um, he's an absolute treat to watch. Obviously, I've only seen him play in the OHL in the junior setting, but he's just such a good skater. That would be like my number one thing that I see. I'm not a scout by any means, but just seeing him skate like butter has that speed has that power, like just overall 11 out of 10 skater. And I think that's so important and so underrated. Um, and he's only going to get better if he just focuses on that speed because you see it again with guys like Mitch Marner, that playmaking ability that they can get from being a strong, quick skater is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. And um, He's he's got this. He's apparently has this incredible shot, and he can find ways to get into those dirty areas. For I sure. mean, what is that underrated skill other than skating? Because obviously the Predators mm -hmm. need someone who's quick and fast. But you know, For what's sure. that? What is that minute skill that really is overlooked with Thomasino? Mm -hmm. 
honestly, I would say his playmaking ability. It's very underrated. He has a really good hockey IQ. And I hate that term because it's so ambiguous, but he sees things that a lot of other players don't see. And that's not a skill that you can necessarily teach. You're sort of inherently born with it or without it. And he has those that smart hockey IQ where he can sort of see plays before they even happen. And I see that a lot in Oshawa. Um, the first game he played against the Spitfires with the Generals, he had five points, two goals, three assists, didn't know any of their systems, sort of just picked up and like was able to see things and get those shots in, get those shots off, pass the teammates, five points in your debut with the team at how, however old he was at the time. I believe he was 17 or 18. Um, amazing. He's going to be amazing for the Predators. You should be very, very happy. He was a steal at 24. He should have went higher. Uh, well, I, I, I certainly hope uh, for the sake of Predators fans that he – He's all that he's out. He's he's all that he's made out to be. Mm-hmm. But um, you said that you want to talk a little about about the youth of the predators or mm-hmm. lack thereof. Do you want to touch on that for a little bit? Sure. So youth is important. Again, you don't want to rush these kids in. I don't know if Phil is going to be ready next year. Um, I rather he stays in the OHL and completely dominates and works on his skating and works on that power. He is a little bit. How tall is he? I don't know off the top of my head. He's a, he's like mid height, like six six one. I'm not something sure. like it's something. That, he's not giant, yeah. but he's not Arvid. Not tiny, yeah. So yeah, taking some time to develop. You don't want to rush things. You don't want to get players in from either the AHL or junior that aren't ready. So I guess youth is important, but you don't want to rush things just because you promised youth. Yeah. I, I don't know if you agree with that or I mean I I am of the mind that if the Predators Cup window hasn't closed yet mm-hmm. this is the last year. Um as 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 much as it pains me to say that Pecorine probably won't end up in the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame I it, it it's it, we just have to face reality. For sure. Um and Two years ago, I picked the Maple Leafs and the Predators to go to the Stanley Cup and play each other because on Mm -hmm. paper, two years ago, those rosters were really hard to beat. You know, if you threw those those rosters in a simulated game on NHL, they would have dominated the regular season. So uh, what has that been like for you to watch that same sort of transition happen in Toronto mm-hmm. where it's like we should have been much better than we actually were. Absolutely. This roster on paper is arguably the best Toronto Maple Leafs roster I've ever seen in my lifetime. And it was a lot easier last year when we lost game seven to the Boston Bruins in the first round of the playoffs again, because there was sort of a clear cut reason, at least in my mind as to why they lost that series. And it was coaching. So all summer on Twitter, conversations that I was having with people, I was like, hey, here is the answer. Change up coaching. Because there is no reason as to why with this team on paper, 
the Leafs should have lost in the first round of the playoffs again. So when the Leafs inevitably fired Mike Babcock in November of last year, I was ecstatic. I was like, hey, we still have an amazing roster and we have this new fresh coach that has experience working with Kyle Dubas and Kyle Dubas like gave him his that stamp of approval and then they lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets in five games and I sort of was just sitting here like what do we do now where do we go from this like, I wish I had the answers. I really do. But it's just this lack of consistency year after year. It's very frustrating. And I'm sure you experience it as well as a Preds fan. It's- Believe me, I, I'm just, I, I'm hearing the verbal ticks, just like inconsistency. Fired the coach mid-year, mm-hmm. still have a great roster, still couldn't get the job done. I mean, it's yep. just, I, I dare say that, Nashville is the Toronto of the Western Conference mm-hmm. or Toronto is the Nashville of the Eastern Conference. Like it's that full sense of security. It's, they just lure you back in and it's just like an abusive relationship. You just keep going back. <laughs> but that series was a lot of fun to watch as frustrating as it was that game four comeback. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or heard I, I what did. happened. But I, I was I was still upset as to the way our game four went. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 that was a very fun game to watch. Yeah. That was the game that really Mitch Marner stood out as a problem. Mm-hmm. And John Severus had an excellent game. Austin mm-hmm. Matthews, obviously. Like these are the games you want from the players that you're paying. Like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Severus, and William Nylander make almost 50% of the cap. It's like 49.7% or something stupid like that. And for just Austin Matthews to show up is unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. And as much as you want to make excuses for them and say, we're playing in the middle of a pandemic, every other player is as well. Every other player misses their family. We're playing in Scotiabank Arena. This is our home turf. Like we play in this barn day in and day out. We should have had a bit of an advantage and we should have been able to be a hot goalie with all that star power. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's put it this I way. Know, I'm, pre- I'm preaching to the choir over here. Uh, you're barking up the wrong tree. I mean, oh, I, for sure. Like it's, I, I, I wish I had something new to add to that. Mm-hmm. I wish I had something else to say, but you perfectly said it. I mean, if you want, a, a perfect comparison to what Preds fans are going through. Look at Toronto. Toronto. Seriously. And yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about this, the, the, the top two lines of Toronto mm-hmm. and Nashville, because, I mean, who else showed up for the Maple Leafs? Who else showed up other than you know, Matthews and Tavares, Mm -hmm. like who else showed up? Because I can only point to five players who played phenomenal in the Arizona Nashville series. And it was Arvidsson, Philip Mm -hmm. Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, Roman Yossi, and Ryan Ellis. Yeah. And where is Mr. Matthew Shane and all of this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 
Was like, there any was there any player from second line down that surprised you for Toronto? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly really really liked Nick Robertson. Um, he played his first NHL game, which was like the qualifying in the qualifying round, and he scored his first goal, I believe, either in game two or three. I don't remember off the top of my head. Small kid, I think he's like five eight or five nine, but again, has that skating, has that speed and has a wicked shot. Um, He actually didn't play in game five, which I was kind of upset about. Um, Sheldon Keith took him out for Andreas Johnson, um, who came back off the LTIR, which I wasn't super happy about. He kind of just wasn't making a big impact. And I thought Nick Robertson had something to prove and really would have, I feel like been a little more visible in that game, but I am very excited to see what Nick Robertson can do. And after having a full training camp and sort of getting more lean and mean Mm -hmm. this summer and whatever ends up happening with this whole hockey situation, whenever it'll be back for (laughs) real. Uh, uh, Like you, I hope that it's back in the safest manner possible mm-hmm. so that everybody can enjoy it. And there's no concerns like Tuka Rask sure. having to leave to go mm-hmm. be with his family. And, Which I uh, absolutely respect. Oh yeah. And without a doubt. And from me to anybody who listens, if you are trashing Tuka Rask for leaving to go be with his family, you can go ahead and stop listening because we at Penalty Box Radio not only support it, but we encourage mm-hmm. people to be with their families in the time of need. And he doesn't know always. He doesn't know anybody in explanation. Absolutely not. And now that we are going into the social activism part of the podcast, um, we have to talk about it. Um, people of color in sports media—that's been a mm-hmm. very, very, very touchy subject for a very long time. For and sure. now we're fine with the hiring of the first. Um, black play-by-play commentator for the Seattle Kraken. We're starting to see mm-hmm. more people of color get into sports media. And, you know, as a person of color, Maha, can you mm-hmm. elaborate on some of the experiences that you've had in sports media? Yeah, I guess I can all start off with representation in sports media and hockey media in general. Um, obviously, accessibility in hockey as a whole needs to be worked on. Um, when you don't see representation, when I don't see people that look like me playing hockey, it's hard to get into it. Um, so it's been nice to see people like Nazem Kadri, who has been exceptional throughout these playoffs, by the way, um, in <laughs> hockey and <laughs> seeing people like Kayla Gray and on TSN here in Canada and David Amber as well on Hockey Night in Canada. Just seeing more diversity is really going to help grow the game and will lead to more diversity and diverse opinions and diverse thoughts and just growing, again, growing the game. Um, Canada is seen as this multicultural nation um, and hockey is our sport. But when we only see rich white dudes playing it, it's hard to find that relatability and that's why I feel like the Raptors run last year hashtag defending NBA champs was so good for the city of Toronto because there was so much representation and 
all of these different communities came together and enjoyed something. And I feel like that's something that has been missing in hockey for a very long time. And once we learn to make this game more accessible, I think that will really help grow hockey media and sports media, especially for women and women of color. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are still a lot of unanswered questions about mm-hmm. um, what it really means to be an ally to not only women, mm-hmm. but especially women of color in sports. So, you know, what can the sports media community do to better ensure that, you know, women of color in this profession receive the same treatment as, say, you know, a brown haired, green eyed white guy like myself? Yeah, I, again. We need to work to make this game more accessible. And once that happens, we're going to start seeing more people reach out. And a lot of people are scared to put their foot forward and try out an unpaid internship. A lot of people can't afford it. So creating those opportunities, reaching out to different people in your network, and instead of them reaching out to you because a lot of times there's that power imbalance, there's those senses of insecurity, there's not seeing diverse people in the media, so thinking that they don't have a shot. A lot of that plays into this whole rhetoric of not seeing diversity in media. Um, and then this sort of over-sexualization of women in general in media. If women are into sports, they're into sports, there's no need to say women in sports are xyz well you can, just, this this is a podcast i'm not on public radio yeah. so you can you can you can let it go for sure it's just <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you don't want to again over fetishize women in in sports media or media in general they're just doing their jobs there's they're fans just like you so there's no need to do that make women uncomfortable you want to be allies you want to be encouraging and sharing their work on your platforms and shouting them out and amplifying their voices, especially when they're talking about social justice issues and share their experiences and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And when you talk about accessibility, Mm -hmm. can you elaborate on what that means in terms of generating interest for hockey in different communities? Hmm. I'm not sure I completely understand your question. (laughs) Okay. So you mentioned the word accessibility, as in like people who can get to the games, people who can learn about Mm -hmm. the game. What can we do to give that accessibility to different communities? For for instance, like there's a kid up in Canada and Mm – she's like you and she looks like you and she sees you on Twitter and she Mm -hmm. sees you talking about hockey. That obviously inspires her. Well, Hey, maybe I can, you know, do that. So how can we reach different communities through that? Like, does that make sense? Yes. You sort of answered your own question there, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, just being active on Twitter, sharing different voices, maybe voices you don't necessarily agree with, but being like, Hey, this is a cool follow and having those open and honest discussions. Um, And if you find work that you like, share it, amplify it. Um, 
help grow the game in that way. I'm not sure how diverse the Preds media is. Like here in Toronto, it's, I don't think we have one woman of color that covers the Leafs, which is unfortunate and needs to change. But uh, I can't speak on the Predators because I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Because there's there are you obviously have your big names like the NHL.com correspondents sure. and the people who work for the Predators, but there are a lot of different other media outlets. I want to say no, there are not any women of color, mm-hmm. and I'm of the mind yes that needs to change because if the NHL is going to promote hockey for everyone, mm-hmm. then hockey actually needs to be for everyone. It for can't sure. just be for this select group of people. For sure. And I feel a lot of the onus actually falls on players as well. We saw Matt Dumba being super courageous and being the first player to actively kneel and then raise a fist and a few other players following. But having that support, especially, I don't want to speak for the Black community, but the Black community being at the forefront currently with all these movements and the Black Lives Matter movement and just having that allyship in a sport that's predominantly white can speak a lot and build that relationship and build that trust and inevitably help grow the game. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about one of the um, one of the tactics that the NHL used Mm -hmm. to show their support for the Black Lives Matter movement. When Tyler Sagan went out onto the streets of Dallas and protested with the Black Lives Matter movement, the NHL propped Tyler Sagan up like Mm -hmm. he was a savior. And they they interspersed the video with comments of people of color saying, thank you for standing up. And I think that sent the wrong message. What do you think? Absolutely. What did you I completely agree. It's great that he was being an ally and he was fighting against anti-Black racism. I think that was great. But to use him as a white man in this movement that affects Black folk, I think that was totally misguided. And I understand that it's a difficult arena to work around, but just having Black folk on your staff to be like, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea would have helped a lot in the long run. And I'm not sure how many black folk work at in the NHL or in their PR department, but again, having those diverse voices are, can really help you in a PR situation like this. Yeah. And do you believe that the hockey community can eliminate these stereotypes and these stigmas about communities of color and people of color Mm -hmm. if we simply like you said just diversify the face of these organizations of the media do you think that we can eliminate these stereotypes i think it's difficult to eliminate stereotypes in any sport but to change hockey culture is going to take a lot of work and it has to start from the ground up And it has to start in making hockey more accessible and more affordable. And that's another issue in and of itself. But once you work to combat that inherently unjust system that 
really, how do I put this politically correctly? It really, (laughs) it really affects folks who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. That's why a lot of indigenous folk, especially here in Canada, just don't have the means to play more professional or competitive hockey and black folk, brown folk, Asian folk. And that's why you see it being predominantly white is that barrier to accessibility. And I feel like once hockey becomes more affordable, it's not going to be an overnight thing, but having it be open to a larger pool of people will help sort of change those stereotypes, change those dynamics, change the rhetoric surrounding that game. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it, one thing that I've noticed about women in sports media in general, mm-hmm. I mean, they are, like you said, over-sexualized and over-fetishized. And I talked a little mm-hmm. bit about this with Corey Crenshaw of uh, the Arizona Coyotes. But, um, I mean, women in sports media, I feel, go through the – they have to go through a lot more than, mm-hmm. say, you know, people people like me, men who have gone through the system. So um, how can members of the sports media be better ally – to women and I'll extend that to women of color other than, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Your way to phrase that question. (laughs) No, no, that's totally fine. It's just, yeah. Again, women are constantly berated, asked ridiculous questions like name XYZ player from the 1995 Santa Cup winning I don't know who won the cup in 1995, Um, but like, come on, it's ridiculous. You wouldn't ask a guy that. And if who cares if a woman doesn't know a lot about hockey, but she likes watching hockey, you don't need to quiz her on it. Just enjoy it with her, help her learn. If she's open to it, you don't need to teach her. She doesn't want to learn about it, but um, yeah, just believe women Treat them like you would one of your buddies who says they like hockey. You're not going to quiz him when he says he likes hockey. Um, I actually have a funny anecdote about that. I was in Cuba in like 2016 with my younger sister and I was wearing a Jays hat. And I guess there were a bunch of Canadians on the resort we were staying at. And this guy came up to me. He actually played in the OHL and like recognized me. Wow. And he was like, yeah, he was like, hey, like, nice hat. And I was like, okay, thanks. Um, name five players on the Blue Jays roster. And I went on to list the entire roster. And he was like, okay, and walked away. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> like, but even if I didn't know any player on the Blue Jays roster, like, what gives you a right to come up to me and ask me to name an entire roster or name five players? Like, don't be a douche just don't be a douche <laughs> I feel like that's just a lesson for everyone just don't be a douche be respectful wow yeah maybe maybe we should change hockey is for everyone to don't be a douche don't be a douche <laughs> I'm a marketing genius <laughs> oh my god I think that's the funniest thing ever said on this podcast at least on this podcast so <laughs> 
Praise be to you. Um, Maha, I got the cheap Zoom plan. So unfortunately, as, as much as I really wish we could have mm-hmm. more of this conversation, and believe me, you're coming back. I unfortunately have to cut things off here. But totally cool. thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure. I had so much fun. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and hopefully the next time we come on, things mm-hmm. will be a little bit better on the social side. And mm-hmm. on the Toronto and Nashville side, hopefully things will be on the, the up and up. But folks, once again, thank you for tuning in to Puck Talk with Spider Jack, my guest, Maha. Thank you again. And we will be back with more content. T minus five days till college, baby. And Woo. probably going to get sent home within the first month. So y'all have a safe night. Be safe out there. Have a good one.